There is a movement across Africa that is changing the lives of hundreds of thousands of teens. It is fun, proven, and powerful. Opportunities here can be scarce for a kid as they grow up. For many, there is little hope of becoming a leader and having an influential life. That is where Young Life comes in. You may know Young Life. Our young adult leaders reach millions of kids all over the world. We are Jesus-centered and leadership-driven. Young Life is sweeping across Africa. We start in neighborhoods, slums, refugee camps, and schools where leaders hang out with kids. Walking through life with them, knowing their names, their stories, and their family. These kids gather weekly at Young Life clubs where they can laugh, walls are broken down, and they get a glimpse of who Jesus is. But life for these kids changes as their leaders share the messages of Jesus and the life they were created for. These messages have the power to transform their lives. And for many of these kids, their transformation in Christ begins at a Young Life camp. They pour in from towns and villages along with their leaders and kids from their neighborhoods. Over the next three days, they will share an experience of a lifetime. When the three days are over, two-thirds of these kids will make a commitment to follow Jesus. Once back home, over the next year, these young disciples will meet to study the Bible each week along with the leader who brought them to camp. A few of these young disciples will be identified as leaders. They will be trained and mentored to lead the next generation of kids and with the heart for Jesus will change their community, their nation, and the continent. Join the movement, change lives, and have an impact for eternity. Good morning, um, I'm Steve Larmy, and Crossroads is my home, the home for Diane and I and our family. We've been members here since like 1993, when it was Cullen Avenue. Some of you have been around that long or longer, and many of you haven't, which is really good news. Um, but it's ex exciting for me to be here this morning, and the Lord is really doing amazing things with Young Life in Africa. Actually, in the church around the world, the Spirit is moving, and, and Young Life Africa has been part of that, but really Crossroads Church sent Diane and I and our kids 19 years ago to Africa when uh, Young Life Work was in four ministries in one city, in one country. And through your prayers, friendship, partnership, and the movement of the Holy Spirit, we're now in 28 countries. Over half a million kids in Africa have a Young Life leader, uh, a, a volunteer who loves Jesus, who knows them by name and has been in their homes and is sharing the love and the, the message of Jesus with those young people. And it, it's amazing. But at every step of the way, there's been crossroads friends who's come and been on the ground in Ethiopia and in Mali and in Kenya and in Tanzania. And they're prayed for ministry and helped people and brought some training. And we're all part of this. And I just want to say thank you to Crossroads and I'm so excited about where this partnership would go, but also this weekend, um, there's great opportunity. I saw out in the foyer, there's some trips to, to Kenya, to Dearborn, Michigan, to uh, Louisville. Don't miss 
the opportunity to jump in and be part of what the Lord is doing. Um, speaking of jumping in, I'm, I'm excited to be here. The book of Acts is my favorite book. I love the book of Acts, and um, I have a whole lot I want to share with you. And so we, we have a lot of ground to cover. I've given Jeremy per- permission to be the Holy Spirit to give me the hook at the end. The book of Acts, actually, if you read the book of Acts, it has no ending. It just kind of, my message may be leaving you hanging. So in, in uh, light of the book of Acts, but as I was praying this morning, preparing, uh, we're talking about Ephesus, the church in Ephesus and, and how God brought that together. And I would say, this is the culmination, the high point of Paul's ministry, I think, are these years in the end of 19 and chapter 20 in Ephesus where everything all comes together. Um, and it's powerful, and it's a, it's a long passage, but the Lord told me to read it to you. And I think the Lord was saying, uh, I wanna make sure everybody hears the whole story and I might not get to the end. So I'm gonna read this to you, but listen to it like a novel, because this is an amazing story, and it's not fiction, that, that this is real. And I'm, I'm starting at uh, the end of chapter 18, um, and we do 18 and into 19. I'm going to paraphrase the end, too, but Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, and he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut in Centre because of a vow he made. And he arrived in Ephesus where he, where Paul left Paul, Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's the Lord's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed in Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem greeted the church, went down to Antioch. And after spending some time in Antioch, his home church, the church that sent him, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home, and they explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him to do so. And they wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, I've not even heard of the Holy Spirit. 
And Paul asked, what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. And there were 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue, and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate, and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him, and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over the demon possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. And one day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I've heard of, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. You don't see that in the flannel graph Bible studies for the little kids. When this became became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, all were seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. And many of those who had believed now came forward and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought out their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, it was a lot. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And after all this had happened, Paul decided to go down to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia, and he said, I must also visit Rome. And he sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. And at this time, a great disturbance arose about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines for Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. And he called them together with the workers and said, you know, from our business, we make a lot of money. And you see and hear that this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. 
there's danger that not only we will lose our business, but also the temple of the goddess Artemis will be discredited. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And this crowd rushed into a stadium shouting, great is Artemis, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, causing a ruckus. They grabbed two of uh, Paul's friends and were, were, were lifting them up. And in the midst of that, finally, people were confused. They didn't even know why they were there. And one of the town officials said, hey, we gotta stop this. These people have not blasphemed our goddess or in any way broken our law. And so they calmed down and left. And immediately following that ruckus, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. You all, that is the picture of what happens when men and women who follow Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, go and live that life, plant that life and share it in a community. This is, this is the picture. And it, it is amazing. It's amazing. And when I think of this story, there's a number of themes that, that really stick out to me. And the, the first are the people. And hopefully as you've been looking through Acts, you realize that for whatever reason, God's plan for extending his kingdom, for reaching the lost, for lifting up the name of his son, Jesus, is us. It doesn't sound like a very good plan, but it's his plan from the beginning that he would choose men and women who would fully surrender themselves. He would fill with his spirit, and these men and women would go, and, and they would live in a community, live out this new kingdom this upside-down way of living, and they would share the message in the life of Jesus and turn the world upside down. You know, obvious star of the show in the whole book of Acts, or half, the last half, is Paul. And, and what an amazing life that Paul has lived, but you, you all have been following him and, and what he's done, but he was, could not be stopped. He never stopped. He poured himself out completely, bearing the cross every day so that nobody's blood would be on his hands. Jew, Greek, everybody would hear about Jesus and the full gospel. And a lot of us, though, when we think of Paul, we think, I, I'm, not, I'm no Paul. And that's probably true, although maybe there is somebody out here. Because Paul didn't know he was Paul till the Lord met him on the road in Damascus. But then we have Priscilla and Aquila. You know who the church planners were for the church of Ephesus? Priscilla and Aquila. Paul left them and on his way out of town stopped in the synagogue. I said something about Paul. He didn't go, hey, let's go look at the Colosseum and you know, oh, I got, I got 30 minutes, I wanna go stir up an argument in the synagogue before I leave town. But he left Priscilla and Aquila. And when he left, he said, uh, I, I don't know if I'll come back if the Lord wills it, I will. He didn't know. In fact, 
If you look earlier in the book of Acts, Paul wanted to go to Asia. And when they say Asia in the book of Acts, it's kind of Western Turkey. Paul wanted to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit kept him from going. His plan was to go to Ephesus, the second largest city and the hub of everything there. And the Holy Spirit didn't let him. So then he had a dream, goes to Macedonia. And then by sea, they enter Ephesus. But it's Priscilla and Aquila are the ones that Paul chooses to leave behind and to begin this work in this key and strategic place. Priscilla and Aquila, they were refugees. They had lived in Rome and had been kicked out of Rome by Claudius and ended up in Corinth. And Paul came in contact with them and they invited Paul in. They shared the trade. They were tent makers. And they brought Paul into their home in Corinth and they became key anchor people. And their home became a place where people came in and out of. But can you imagine, they had no idea what they were doing when they invited Paul into their home and they welcomed him. Can you imagine the things they experienced and that they learned and that they heard having Paul in their home in Corinth for a year and a half? And they worked together making tents. Now, a lot of missionaries, uh, we, in the missionary world, we call some of them tent fakers, where you, you, you get a job, you're, but really, I'm a secret undercover missionary, and the travel agency or whatever it is I start doesn't ever really make money. But uh, Priscilla and Aquila were real tent makers, as was Paul. They had their own business. They worked with their hands late at night. And I bet they made great tents because we know that not only did they make enough money to provide for all their own needs, but they also made enough to give to the poor and to help. So these were volunteer tent makers, had their own business, invited Paul in the home. And then when Paul was leaving, he said, I want you to come with me. And they went. And in, they did the same thing in Ephesus. They started their tent making business They open their home and they welcome people. You all, what amazing people Priscilla and Aquila are. I think there's a lot of Priscilla and Aquilas out here. Men and women who love Jesus, who want more, who are willing to open their home and their life to others, willing to sit at the feet of the Savior and to learn and to share, willing to go, and to take their life as a tent maker and as a family and open their homes to birth the church. You know, I think about um, Suzanne and Keller Stam. That's what they do with university students and have done for years. They welcome them in their home. I just heard a story of welcoming a Pakistani kid in a in their home, and nobody, the first home they had been in. And that welcome made all the difference in the world. And I'm hoping a lot of you become Priscilla and Aquila's. And then there's Apollos, who becomes another great evangelist. And he comes to Ephesus, and he's a great teacher, but he, he knows half the gospel. And, but that didn't stop him. Nobody said, well, you got to go to seminary for eight years. You got to get this certificate. You got to go through this training. 
He felt the Lord telling him to go to Ephesus. He didn't know anybody there. He showed up in the synagogue and just started talking about Jesus. But he was humble. And I love Priscilla and Aquila. heard him in the synagogue. And they didn't stand up and say, hey, who are you? You don't even know the whole gospel. They didn't troll him on social media. They quietly grabbed him afterward and said, hey, Apollos, can you what, come to our house? Stay with us. And they shared with him the full way. This is Aquila and Priscilla, a man and a woman, married couple, bring Apollos, this dynamic teacher who knows the scriptures, into their home, and he humbly learns from them. And then they send him to Corinth, and he makes a big difference in Corinth. But in God's plan, it's full surrender. A handful of women and men who fully yield themselves to the spirit and to the gospel, who God uses, who are willing to go when they're sent. And it's this coming and going in churches like Antioch, sending Paul and receiving him back and Crossroads, sending the armies and receiving us back. And everywhere they go, there's new names, Priscilla and Aquila and, and Timothy and Titus and, and Trophimus and Tychicus and all these names that never caught on in the Christian world. But everywhere they go, they're making disciples who come and go and welcome and share the gospel and grow and learn. Even though it's not complete, they go because they're filled with the Spirit. So that's the full surrender. The next is the full gospel. The story of Ephesus with Paul starts with him, a quirky story of him finding these 12 disciples. And I think it says something about Paul because somehow he engaged them. I don't think they were wearing, you know, God's gym t-shirts, you know, that the, his pain is my gain. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure somehow he ran into these people and could ascertain, maybe by discernment of the Spirit, that these were believers. And he asked them, he asked the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit? You think of all the questions you could ask, that's the question Paul asked. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And he said, what baptism did you receive, John's? And Paul told them, like a Priscilla and Aquila did with Apollos. And by the way, these people very likely had been evangelized by Apollos, right? Because we know Apollos didn't know about the baptism or probably the Holy Spirit. And they get baptized. Paul lays his hands on them, and they begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. And for some of us, maybe that's an experience we've had. For others, that feels foreign. But you all, this is, this is what the Spirit can do and chooses to do as the Spirit pours himself graciously out on people. I remember being at a Young Life camp in Tanzania, one of our very first camps. And we, after the young people hear what Jesus did on the cross, we send them out in silence for 20 minutes. And we suddenly started hearing all of these noises. And we went out and all these young people were speaking in tongues. And the spirit had come upon them. Now, that's the only time. That doesn't happen at camp every time. But I think God did that to us as a sign to let us know the Holy Spirit is important and I'm with you. Um, but why do you think Luke included this story 
I, I think this story, because you think of all the stories that aren't included in Acts, or even in this chapter, this is so important. And a place where we can easily get it wrong is we forget or lose the Holy Spirit. But without the Holy Spirit, the rest of the chapter doesn't happen. Until the Holy Spirit comes and the power of the Holy Spirit infuses the believers, the rest of this doesn't happen. It's not an intellectual exercise only. It's this life of Jesus in us. Why? Because it's the spirit of Jesus. That's how we can have a relationship with Jesus, through his spirit. That's how he is with us. That's how he can walk with us. That's where we get our power. It's from the Holy Spirit. With no Holy Spirit, there's no walking with Jesus every day. There's no voice in your head telling you go left or go right. There's no gifts of the Spirit. There's no forgiveness. Forgiveness of the sins is an act of the Holy Spirit. And Luke and Paul and everybody wanted to make sure we don't, it's the Holy Spirit, the full gospel. It's not just telling about Jesus. I had an African friend say, in our churches, we, we know about being saved and uh, being prosperous. There's so many prosperity gospels. But, but I think in a lot of the Western church, we focus a whole lot on making sure people know who Jesus is. And what Apollos was great at arguing that Jesus was the Messiah. But Paul talked about the kingdom of God. Not just that Jesus is Messiah, but what kind of kingdom does this new king usher in? What kind of life is he calling us to? That's the kingdom of God. It's not just about saying yes to Jesus. It's about receiving a spirit and being part of this work. So the full gospel, Paul proclaimed the full gospel. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, then it says when, sorry, I'm a chapter ahead here. Um, Paul went to the synagogue. He taught there for three months, but he walked away when people started, uh, you know, fighting against it, causing problems, he walked away. And we know those people continue to cause problems for years and years for Paul. But then he goes to the most public place in Ephesus, the lecture hall at Tyrannus that holds thousands of people. And every afternoon for two years, sat and taught the full gospel. Wouldn't you have loved to sit in that lecture hall? Just what kind of conversations? What did they cover? But in two years, every day in a public place where anybody can come and go, Paul and the disciples are teaching every day. And we also know from Paul later letters that they also were going house to house. So we have these handful of people who are with full surrender, telling the full gospel, but they're fully committed to share this with every possible person. And, and I wanna share, at the end of this, it says, at the end of two years, all of the Jews and Greeks in the province of Asia heard the word of God. You could show this map. If, if you read the book of Revelation, there's the seven churches, and y'all, every one of these churches came out of this period of two years. 
in the Tiranus Hall, and, and a whole lot of other, the entire province of Asia, which was the most populous in the Roman Empire, everybody heard the word of God, and all of these churches were planted in two years because there were people coming and going, going house to house, people coming in, being sent out. Imagine. Crossroads, Colin, we've been here for decades. What could it do to the tri-state if we had a handful of people who were fully surrendered in the power of the Holy Spirit, absolutely committed day in and day out in the public places, door to door, in our homes, sharing the love of message of Jesus. What could happen in two years? Years. What should happen in the tri-state and beyond? So that's the full commitment. Then we have God doing these extraordinary miracles. When we have these kind of people filled with the Spirit, sharing the word of the full word of God, committed to living it out in a community, the full power of the gospel comes. Healings, exorcism, freedom, deliverance. And a lot of people, I'm sure some of you are thinking, this, this is, I just don't get this. But you all, this is the life we're all called to be a part of. Every one of us is given the authority as sons and every one of us that follow Jesus and are filled with the Spirit are given his authority to to trample on the scorpions and the demons. We're given his authority. It's not on our own accord, but as his representatives, we have the authority. And every gift of the Spirit, healing, prophecy, tongues, leadership, service, administration, every gift is available to every one of us at every given time. I don't have the gift of healing, but the Lord's used me to heal people. I know people that have a gift of healing that they're accessing all the time, but every one of us has a spirit in us. And if we're yielded to that spirit, listening at every moment, and the spirit says pray, and the gift of healing can be in you, a prophetic gift to have to encourage people or to warn people can be, every one of these gifts is available to all of us. And all that authority is given to us. And when we do this, this power happens. We get this full power. And then you see full opposition. There's always opposition. But that's when we get this story of the demon beating seven, seven, Young men up, sending them out buck naked and bleeding, running through the streets of town. And you all, in my quiet time going through this, these questions that the demon asked the seven sons, when he says, I know Jesus, and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? And... That question, I feel like the Lord said, who am I? Is there anything in my life that would make the demons quake? 
is there anything I'm doing that would make the gates of hell tremble? Because that's what I'm created for. That's what I'm called to. And it's not me, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's that spirit in me that if I'm loving people in this upside down way and proclaiming this gospel, this unstoppable gospel, it's gonna be proclaimed whether I'm part of it or not. I can join the train or not join the train, be part of this work or not be part of this work. If I join into that, then the enemy trembles and they come out and opposition happens and it's not easy, but there's nothing to be afraid because he that's in me is greater than he that's in the world. But who am I? Have I received the Holy Spirit? And then as this opposition comes out, we got this, suddenly these people who believed now came forward and publicly confessed. They, they had already believed, yeah, I'll follow Jesus, but they're still doing their sorcery thing on the side or their greed thing on the side, so whatever the thing is. And we actually have these sorcerers come and publicly, nobody told them to do it, no, but the whole, they saw the name of Jesus honored. Wow. He is the king of kings. Even the demons quake at him. And now these people who did believe suddenly, publicly, not only confess, but they burn thousands and thousands of dollars worth of scrolls and magic items. And you know what that means? That hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of people that were coming to them for witchcraft have nobody to come to. They're cutting off the spigot. This is, this is upside down cultural change that's happening as these few believers lift up the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit come forward, stand in the authority of Jesus against opposition. Suddenly, people begin to stand up and say, I believe too. And these parts of their life that they were holding back, they bring to the feet of Jesus and they, they burn you all, I, I'm guessing that there are people out there, out here among us, people we know, that have already decided to follow Jesus, but kind of secretly. I'm kind of in, I'll go to church on Sunday, but I've, maybe there are parts of our lives that we're still holding on to, that we're not letting go of. Idols that we're holding on to um, places where the enemy has a foothold in our life. And Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is inviting you publicly, stand up, confess. I'm gonna follow Jesus, and I'm gonna be all in. And this is what I've done, and I bring that, and I'm burning it. Not only am I saying I'm gonna stop, I'm burning this, and I'm consecrating my life to Jesus. And when that happened, then the way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So there's this progression. 
of God picking some people, and it's not many, who begin to live in a community of the kingdom of God where Jew and Greek and Gentile, male, female, are equals, are loved, where the barriers of racism and hate are taken down, where new systems are brought into place, and and the old systems of the, of the enemy, of principalities and powers are torn down. And religion is so much a part of the systems of oppression in our world. You go to India and you see millions of people willingly stuck in poverty by a religion that tells them you can never leave. And in fact, leaving would be wrong and you're stuck stuck there at the benefit of who? The people at the top. These caste systems, religion, that the kingdom of God, not just saying yes to Jesus, I want to be saved, but saying yes to his kingdom and yes to being part of a group of people that are going to open their homes to each other, break bread, let the spirit move, courageously speak, the truth, go door to door, house to house, in the public, work with their hands tirelessly, do a great job, support the needs, help the poor. When people grab onto that and say yes to that, and the power, we begin to walk in that authority and the power of the Spirit, and people will be healed. Captives will be freed. Visions and dreams, these happen. They're happening all over the world. They happen with believers in this town. They're happening in this room. But what if that became the norm here? What would the Lord do? And then, of course, the story ends with this mad riot, ruckus, and Paul leaves town, leaves a Priscilla and Aquila. All right, you got this this. This mad crowd, I'm leaving you now. Be warm and well-fed. Priscilla and Aquila stayed. And that Ephesus church continued to grow in power. And, and the tradition tells us that they were martyred in Ephesus. They gave up their lives for the gospel. Um, in, the, in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul ends it by telling him, after all this glorious theology, all this practical living, he says the reminder is that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers and principalities. And we gotta put on the full armor of God. But we have that armor, we have that hope. Crossroads has been Antioch for the Larmy family. I pray that it will be Antioch for hundreds and hundreds of more in this community and beyond. I pray that the Lord will raise up Priscilla's and Aquila's here, who with the hard work of your hands and the hospitality of your homes and the humility of your learning will make the name of Jesus honored in the entire tri-state area, in the United States, in Africa and Asia, and the whole world. Holy Spirit, come. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the Messiah, 
and you call us to follow you. But thank you that you've not let us alone, but you've given us your spirit and you promise that we will do greater things and that your spirit will teach us everything and remind us of everything you've taught us and release in us the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, self-control, goodness, and release the gifts of healing and good news, service for the world. Pour out your spirit. May this morning Priscilla's and Aquila's hear your voice. Apollos's hear your voice in correction that we would follow you in your spirit. We pray this in your name.